0: Folks, I want to introduce to you someone that many of you probably know already, but uh, I felt the need to bring this introduction uh, just because of uh, how the Lord pressed this upon my heart. But as I was processing and knowing that I was going to be gone this particular weekend, uh, I believe the Lord brought forward the name Mark Larson for joining me in this series in the book of James. And so today, he's going to be breaking that down for us. And I am excited for you to hear what the Lord has pressed upon his heart to share. He and I got together this week, and we were able to just process the, uh, the passage that you're going to be processing here in a moment. And the things that Mark was sharing with me, there was incredible application for my life where I was looking at things internally. And this is going to be a message that's going to cause some reflection. And so I want to encourage you to lean in to what it is that the Lord has pressed upon Mark's heart to share. If you know Mark and his wife Sarah, and uh, they are an amazing family and we just look forward to hearing what it is that the Lord has pressed upon his heart to share. And so please lean in as he presents the word today. And also, our children's ministry today is being led by grandparents. It's a Grandparent Sunday back there as they're pouring into those kids. And so here in a moment, I'm going to invite an elder to come up And to pray with Mark, but also to pray over the children's ministry as we all grow together in the Lord through his word. God bless you guys. Mark, we look forward to hearing this message. So
1: we'd just like to take a moment to pray over him. And we thank you for lifting him and the ministry he has at Twin Lakes Bible Camp up. Father, we just thank you once again for what you do, Lord. Uh, We lift to you mark and the ministry that goes on at the Bible camp. He was even sharing uh, out there before the uh, word uh, the message this morning of how The camp and needing more people for next year, you know your word talks about how many hands and can take part in the serving that we can do so father we just thank you for that in the midst of everything going on in our world it can seem kind of chaotic and yet lord you're doing these neat things amongst us and so we just pray for what he's going to share this morning that it will only bring glory to you so father lift him up uh, lift his mind and lips to you that he can help further your kingdom we we pray also for pastor russ as he's gone that you bring him and brady and the family home safely So make this be a time to bring all glory to you, in Jesus' name. And we lift up to you children's ministry this morning, the grandparents' ministry also, as they're meeting while Mark's giving the message. Be with them also, in Jesus' name, amen. If you give a warm welcome to Mark Larson. Thank
2: you, Troy. Yeah, as uh, Troy mentioned, I was over just at Swede Bend, which is a little church service we do out at Twin Lakes Bible Camp, Um, and so we... Finished that up at about 9.30 and got here about five minutes after 10, so we made it. We're here. Um, but again, my name is Mark Larson. I am married to Sarah Larson. We've got a four-year-old Spitfire named Enoch, and then just the sweetest little girl, uh, Audrey. She's two, and we got baby number three coming in January, so no idea uh, if it's boy or girl, but we're, we're really excited either way. Um, we've just gotten to... We loved being here in Iowa these last five years and getting to know this community, getting to know a lot of you. So it's just, it was really, um, it was cool. It was a cool opportunity to be able to come and be here with you all today. Uh, we, as you know, we're in James. Um, that's what Russ has been taking us through through the summer. And so I just figured if you all want to start turning to James 4, uh, i give you a minute to get there. It was, um, it was really nice of, of Russ to, <laughs> ask me to speak because, like, I've not been here this summer. Um, I just feel bad for any church that has a uh, camp staff member as a member because they're only going to be there about, like, half the time. Um, But I got to go back and uh, thank goodness for, you know, just uh, recorded sermons and saw what you all have been going through in this book. Love this book. This is just, this is an amazing, rich Um, Piece of scripture, and so it is just an honor to be able to look into this and say, Hey, let's find out what James is saying here at the end of chapter 4, 13 through 17, and then the first chunk of chapter 5. I just want us to be ready for whatever challenges are coming out of this book, coming out of these chapters. Um, I am just another person who struggles with these things, and I'm going to be speaking to them with you. It's like, how low can we make this podium? I, I can't talk down to anyone on these subjects here, but let's take a look at each one and uh, try to find out what James is telling us here. What is God, uh, what was he telling his people 2,000 years ago, and what is he telling us? What exact same thing is he telling us today? Uh, so if you'll just start with me in James 4:13, we'll read through that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So this is the very first piece of Scripture we're going to be looking at here today. Um, And I think it has a lot to do with planning. What what is this person getting accused of? Come you uh, who say today or tomorrow, we are going to go into such and such a town and make a profit. I think this uh, is talking a lot about planning here, and so I brought an ancient relic uh, with me because it just shows better than, uh, than an app on my phone, which is what I use for my calendar here. But I don't know if uh, anyone still has one of these hanging up in their house. This is commonplace, and uh, my family growing up, my mom would have this just torn up with all sorts of information. Uh, I had one in the late 90s, and it maybe had like my birthday, and everything I was gonna do leading up to Christmas to make the month of December go faster. So that's pretty much all that was on my calendar as a kid. Um, But I just wanted to have that here as a little visual for us as we think about what is James saying here with planning. Now, I want you to ask yourself, are you a planner? Okay, do you enjoy knowing all the little details and what you're gonna do? Some of us might not be. It was after my first year of college, I, I finished up my freshman year, I took my last final, and a friend and I jumped in a car, and this is all we knew. We knew we had two weeks, we knew we wanted to see a beach on the west coast, and we knew we wanted to see like a couple places on the way and on the way back. It was gonna be like this, ended up being like 6,000 mile road trip, but we planned almost nothing. We didn't know how long it was gonna take to get to each place. We didn't know where we were gonna sleep, how long we were gonna be at each spot, uh, we had nothing planned, and it was awesome. And so there was this, there was this part of me uh, that could probably have read this at one point and just justified that and been like, oh, good, James is saying that we shouldn't plan. Come, you, you know, say we're going to go here and there and have all these plans and make a profit. Um, that's, however, I, I don't think that's what James is getting at here, okay? There's all sorts of practical and good uses of planning but this is where planning, um, it, it does something really, really helpful. Okay, planning and how we think about our plans and how we make our plans and how we speak about our plans and how we uh, act when they are fulfilled or not says a lot about what's going on in our heart because what do we want? We want to be in charge of our lives, We want to think that, you know, yes, responsibility of our actions is so important, but we want to think that we are masters of our own fate. We want to be masters of our own fate. We want to make a profit. Everyone I know wants that. Um, we want to make something of ourselves. We want to be healthy. We want to be comfortable. We want assurance. Uh, Where's Brian? We want insurance. We want (laughs) we we want to be liked. We want to be in control. And guys, none of these things are bad to plan for or try to make happen. None of them are bad. They they bring a smile to my face when they happen in my life and when they happen in my friends' lives. Um, And I'm very sure you'll see me teaching my children to, you know, take responsibility of their lives and, you know, work on these things. But here's a question I want us to be asking ourselves. Is our identity, is our peace, and is our joy ever found in these things? All of these things are great, but they are all shakeable. okay? Are um, making a profit, our health, um, our comfort, our assurance, our insurance, all of those things, everything is shakable, okay? Um, And it all falls under this umbrella. Look at what he says in verse 15. If the Lord wills, this this is what you should be saying instead of bragging about your plans. This is what we should be saying. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I don't think anyone would have been surprised if the antidote was simply saying, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. What did I just leave out? If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. We will live. That's not something that the uh, people he's addressing even acknowledged. This is that like, Have you ever taken the time to, to wrap your mind around that, that there is someone who is in charge of every breath in and out that God has control even over even that just how much time we we live or have on this earth is something that we'll never know. It's like today is August 29th and as as much as we have accomplished as a human race, you know, we see a river and we build a bridge. We've got a moon out there, we'll fly a rocket to it, you know, we've got Mars way out there, you can barely see it with a telescope. And it's like we're gonna put you know, we're going to try to put people on that. Um, we got these illnesses, and we're going to fight them, and we've got all this crazy stuff that we've been able to do as a people, and then we've got all of our coolest accomplishments that we've attained individually, and you take all of that into account, and we don't even know what's going to happen for sure on August 30th tomorrow. We, we don't. There's, there's got to be this humility that we have as people that we don't know even if we have the rest of today or tomorrow. And, and guys, it would be so easy to think about this and, and go to a place of, I don't know, depression or despair when we think about how long our lives are, but that is not the reality for the Christian, okay? Um, a daily, a daily um, <clears throat> relationship. A daily relationship with the Savior of our souls and the reality of the fragility of our body does a lot to sanctify our daily perspective. That was a mouthful. I'm going to say it one more time. A daily relationship with the Savior of our souls and the reality of the fragility of our body does a lot to sanctify our daily perspective just thinking about how long do I really have? You know, what, what, how much time is that God going to give me? Um, that could be something that if we don't know what is after death, that is a terrifying thing. That is a scary thing. That is something that a lot of people despair over. Or it just manifests itself as like, well, I'm just going to live it up today. Um, but no, having that daily relationship with the one who saves our souls, does a lot to just put it all into perspective. Okay? You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will even live and do this or that. Okay? Um, The... (laughs) This is not something that I think a lot of us would find obvious as, as a sin bragging or boasting about today or tomorrow. The, um, and I think James kind of admits that. Please take a careful look at verses 16 and 17. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I think he admits that we all do this on a daily basis without even thinking about it. I have never heard someone talking about their plans and thought, you're evil, you know? <laughs> I've never heard someone talking about what they plan on doing tomorrow or the next day or next year and thought like, man, that is, that is really wrong. Um, but it is so subtle. Like, d- does the way we talk about our plans reflect who we think has a final authority in our lives? Because just the way we talk can be so subtle and lead us into a place of actually believing and thinking that we are masters of our fate and that we have control over things that we don't have control over. And just by how we talk about our plans, if it's going to affect our hearts and lead us to a place where it's like, I really think I've got control in my life, that is the problem I think that James is addressing here. And so here's what I would ask. Here's what I would think. The, um, I was really proud of our summer staff this year. Uh, we make a lot of plans, okay? We've got to out at Twin Lakes Bible Camp. Like To some degree, we have every hour and day planned a year ahead of time, okay? We make a lot of plans, but our summer staff adopted this phrase uh, these past few months of palms up, okay? And that just simply meant like, yes, we know what we want to do, but we aren't holding tightly onto any of it. We aren't going to take credit for any of it. It is like we have made these plans, and we have made them so that, God, we want you to be glorified with them, and they are yours to change. All time is borrowed, and it is given from God, and it is His to do as He will with in our lives. And so just I was really proud of him just adopting that phrase of palms up, like our time, our plans... They are good to make, but they are all held and subject to the Lord's will. And so just can we adopt that, that mentality of palms up with what God has given us, with the time that he's given us and the things that we want to do in that time. Um, would you go with me to chapter 5? Are we ready to move on to that? Uh, let's take a look here, because um, these things tie into each other. Come now, you rich. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Um, Now, I want to say thanks, James, for saying, come now, you rich, because I think that almost turns off like 99% of people's brains. I think there's just an automatic switch off for a lot of us um, because as soon as we see that, come now you rich, I think it was like, James is not talking about me. You know, wealth is such a relative term. All right? Like, you know, there's always been that, yeah, I don't know, top 1% or 1% of the 1% and it's so easy for us to think about, like, they're the ones that are wealthy. Um, but man, guys, wealth is such a relative term. It's like, e- even if you're, you know, in the bottom you know, 10%. Let's just say you have air conditioning, okay? You, are, you have got something that like the top 1% for most of the history of the world never even imagined, like air conditioning, a refrigerator, a vehicle. It's like, okay, wealth is always a relative term, but I did want to pull this out here because I, I do think this is um, something that all of us can learn from. We're going to go into a profile of this rich person uh, and talk about how each of these aspects is something for us to glean from, um, but Russ, I think, in a message this summer, said he had an envelope full of like fifteen hundred bucks, but it ended up being monopoly money, right? okay, so I thought it'd be worth like emptying my retirement fund for for an illustration here, so I thought like okay i'm going I'm going bring it out there's my retirement fund, a hundred dollar bill, and then a bunch of ones under it <laughs> so wealth, there we go money this is something that Oh my goodness, the Bible has so much to say on it because it, it is something that is truly has a grip in our lives. And so we all have something to learn from this wealthy person that James is addressing, okay? This, uh, this person or these people that he's talking about, all of these sins that he's ac- accusing them of, have very, very mild um, or innocent-seeming roots, so let's take a look. What is the profile of this wealthy person? Uh, point number one. It says that you have, um, <clears throat> you have laid up treasures in the last day. Uh, there is a, a ser- The Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew, and you don't, I'm not going to ask you to go there, but there was one part of that I wanted to just pull out of this really quick. Um, the Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroy, and where neither thieves break in or steal. Uh, but where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm not coming against making plans or having some sort of retirement fund or anything like that. But do our finances reflect what we really value? Uh, I wish I had brought a rope with me. Uh, Those of you that have been out the camp, you, you know that we've got a climbing wall. And I just have like hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of feet of retired climbing rope. I could... Um, I could wrap around this church with just the climbing rope I've got. So something I'll do with young people out at the camp every now and then is I'll stretch a rope out, you know, wall to wall. And I'll go all the way down here and I'll say, hey, you know, let's take a look at this end of the rope. We'll just say, like, this is the beginning of time, okay? And we're going a few, you know, it's, 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 there's been a lot of earth history. We'll go a, a good little length, maybe about this long, and I'll put a piece of tape right here, a nice white piece of tape. And I'll say, this represents your time here on earth, okay? And then I'll draw at the very end, maybe the last 10th of that piece of tape. I'll just take a nice thick marker. This is retirement, okay? And how many of us spend that first 90% of life solely focused on that last 10%? All my wealth, time, and energy is going to be spent making that last little bit of my life comfortable. And we forget that there is more rope over here. There is more time. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And yes, I want to be careful about what my last, you know, if I can plan for it, what my last bit of life is going to look like. But do I want to invest in that as much as I want to invest in eternity? I'm, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about everything that's going to be happening over here and what is Minute one going to look like with my Savior? What is year one million and one going to look like with my Savior? And did how I spend my time and my finances on Earth show? Uh, I won't even worry about you all. Did did how I temi- spend my time and finances show Enoch and Audrey, my kids, that that Dad cared about eternity, that Dad cared about other people's eternity? All right, or did it look like Dad was obsessed? with, you know, are we going to have enough in retirement? You know, yeah, that's important too. But how much of my energy and time is spent showing my kids what's valuable to me? Um, That's just a, a thought, okay? But these people that James has addressed, it has become evident to those around them where their treasure is, all right? They have stored it for the last days, their own last days, Let's look at the next thing. Okay, Um, behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of Hosts. They're cheating people. Okay, they've cheated people out of their financial deals. I I don't know if I'm addressing anyone here who you know has employees or anything that's like you know done this. I don't. I don't imagine so. but how easy is it for us to be tempted to cheat someone when it comes to a large financial sum of money? It's like, for me, remember wealth is a relative term. For, for me, the biggest amounts of money that I'm going to bring in and, and, you know, give out to sell or buy or trade is vehicles, okay? That's it at this point in my life. I, I buy cars, I sell cars, it's that's the most amount of money I see on a regular basis. Um, I was just selling a truck like last week and I was really excited to sell this truck because there was nothing wrong with it. It's been in my family for like 11 years. Uh, it's been going strong. Like the, the worst things with it are cosmetic. My dad parked it under a pine tree. It was just covered with sap. and I'm like, But mechanically, it was awesome. And I was like, I don't have to you know, worry about the next person buying this vehicle. I don't have to worry about you know them you know driving it down the road and it falling apart. It's a good truck, and I'm checking the oil. I'm checking everything right before I sell this vehicle, and the oil's low. And I'm like, no, <laughs> this is. I had the price I thought I wanted to get for this, what I thought it was worth, and they get there and uh, they ask, is there anything mechanically wrong with it? I think it burns oil. <laughs> it was just, it was rough, you know. But how easy is it for us to be like, alright, you know, I want to get a certain amount of money out of a deal, or out of selling a car, um, or a certain amount of work out of my employees. And we try to find all these little ways to like scrounge every last pun- penny or withhold information so that we maximize our profits. And that's something that we can do in just a little way. This is the first time I've ever talked to adults about money. I work with youth, and I tell them um, that it doesn't matter if you don't have a large amount of money because Luke 16, 10 tells us that he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. I say, what, young people, what are your financial habits now? What are your financial, how do you work with money right now? If you want to know what you're going to do with a lot later, Take a look at what you're doing with a little bit now, okay? And start shaping those habits now because, you know, if you are generous now, I think you'll be generous with more. So many of us get stuck in this mindset of like, if I just had millions or if I had more, then I'd be generous. It's like, I, I don't know. It's, if we're stingy with a little, I think we'll be stingy with a lot more. Um, and so how do we handle these financial habits now with just a little? Um, the, it's just something that I think is great to think about. We get to see how it plays out with these people that James are addressing. It's gone to the point of they're totally just cheating and withholding wages from their labors. But how did they get there? Okay, let's move on. Um, the next profile for this is the hardest one for me to address. And in my first time planning this, I was like, I'm not even going to go there. Um, it's, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. And the reason I didn't want to address this is because that's really hard to draw a line on. That is super hard to define. What does it mean for us to go too far with luxury and self-indulgence? And I have no idea how to draw that line. Now there is a line, there is a point that we spend so much on ourselves that it just shows that you know, we are all about ourselves. And, you know, that we can use our finances to just go crazy on making ourselves just comfortable here right now. And I have no idea how to tell you what that line is. The only thing I have to offer is a story to think about, okay? Um, And I'm, I'm not saying that this is someone that, you know, we should, like, model. But think about what does it look like for us to try to make ourselves comfortable on earth right now. To what extent do we use our finances in that? And this is not my story. Um, it's my father-in-law's. Uh, he's, he's a man that I admire a lot. This is a guy who was actually making a lot of money uh, working at a, at a care facility as sort of just a fundraiser. He had a great um, you know, benefits, all this stuff. Um, but what he did is he felt like he felt God was calling him to pastoral ministry. He dropped everything, and went to this little church in Minnesota that had next to nothing for a budget. And they couldn't hardly offer him any money, but it was like this is where God was calling them. And during his time there, uh, my father in law met a man named Warren. Okay? Now, my wife remembers Warren's house, and uh, the, the, Warren's house was not a nice place. <laughs> this is kind of like a little bit of a rundown spot. She remembers her parents saying, Uh, you guys just stay outside, okay? And Warren didn't have to mow his lawn because it was just full of stuff. You know the yard, okay? You know the neighbor or the the acreage out in the country that's just, they don't have any grass to mow because it's just got stuff. (laughs) My father-in-law recalls going into his house and Warren offering him coffee. And my dad, father-in-law, took a look at the coffee maker. He's like, I don't know if I want something that's come out of that coffee maker but he took a look at Warren and said, "Warren's still alive. Maybe I can have. Maybe I can, Maybe I can have one cup of coffee." And uh, he went to use the restroom, and he noticed this big cardboard box full of toilet paper rolls that have just maybe like like six or seven squares left on them. You you know what I'm talking about? It's just like I work. <laughs> okay, I work. In the people business, I, I, I do a lot of, uh, we serve guests at the camp, and I know what it's like to look at a toilet paper roll and just be like, oh, should I change that? It's, I don't want to waste any, but maybe, it's, maybe, maybe I won't be back here before it needs to get changed again. So I know what it's like to like take that little toilet paper roll that's only got a little bit left um, and toss it. So Warren, what he would do, he went to this bakery, and that's how he got his toilet paper. He would just go out <laughs> the trash can and like find these rolls that just had a little bit left. And the, the dude lived as frugally as possible. Everyone would have guessed this guy had like next to nothing to live on and lived on the kindness of strangers. And that's just how he lived his life. That's Warren. My dad, uh, my father-in-law, left that church Pastor a church here in Iowa, and he found out a few years after he left that Warren had passed away and left a gift of a little over a quarter of a million dollars to that church. Now, again, wealth is relative, all right. For some of us, it might be like, That's that's nothing, you know, by the end of my life, I'm gonna have more than that, or whatever, you know, that's all relative, you know. But for that church, that was 10 times the operating budget. Uh, when my father-in-law started there. And that's not, this is not a message on like, you know, give to the church or anything. This is just a message on just being able to ask ourselves, what is our money for? And is it really mine? Okay? If, if it's all given from God, how much how much do I use on myself? You know, how much do I use for His kingdom? It's just something to ask ourselves, and to never stop asking ourselves. For Warren, like, he knew what he needed and what he wanted, and And he knew where, you know, he wanted his money to go towards the kingdom. So I just, I love that story. No one saw it coming. Um, But that's that's a little look into Warren's life. Um, I do want to share one more thing on this. When it comes to where is the line between using my money for myself and using it for others? How do I not cross that line of luxury and self-indulgence? And here's what I would ask, that you don't ask that question, okay? To what extent is spending my money on myself a sin? I encourage you not to ask that question. And the reason is we get, that, we get a version of that question working with young people, we get a version of that question all the time. And it has to do with purity, Okay, It has to do with like relationships and liking someone else. And they're always asking, how far can I take this before it's a sin? How far can I go with that before it's a sin? It's the wrong question. Now, this isn't my question. I, I've, I've borrowed this from John Piper, who you, know, you may have heard of him. But he encouraged us to ask a different question. Take a look at what you're thinking about. You know, you want to know how far can you go with fill in the blank before it's a sin. Take a look at that and just ask yourself this question. Does this help me run? If you were at the camp this summer, you knew our theme verse was Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It said, therefore, uh, let us throw off every hindrance, you know, and let us run with um, endurance the race that is set before us. Um, Does what you're asking yourself help you run? So we ask that to young people, like, all right, you want to know how far you can go with, you know, your your boyfriend or girlfriend? Just ask yourself, does that help you run towards Christ? Does that help you conform more to his image? Show others what your life is about. You know, change into the person of Christ. If you're wondering how far, how much can I spend on myself before I cross that line of luxury and self-indulgence, stop asking that question. Ask, how does my spending help me run? How does my money you know, help me run towards Christ? With what God has given me, how do I use it to become more like him, to tell others about him? Do you remember the parable of the talents? The master gave his servants something. It wasn't theirs. He gave it to them. And he wanted to see how they were going to invest it to glorify or to, you know, to, to, to make more rich their master. Guys, our time and our money has all been given by Christ. And it's for it's from him and it's for him. So I, I encourage not to try to find that line of where luxury and self-indulgence is, but to just go the other way and say, does my money help me run towards Christ? Uh, let's look at the last profile of this rich person that James is addressing, and it comes right at the very end, uh, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Um, (laughs) I was talking to Russ, like he mentioned in the video, and I said, well, Russ, we're we're not talking to anyone, you know, in that position today. And he's like, well, I challenge you to think about that another way, because murder is like the end of the line, for something much more innocent, something much more seemingly innocent, okay? And I read about it in books. I like to read different, you know, novels all the time. And, you know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of stories how with it, when it comes to a large enough sum of money, people are willing to kill, you know, and all that. Uh, but what's something much more sly and, and innocent that we struggle with on a regular basis that surrounds money, and I think it has to do with what John teaches in 1 John about hatred. It's like if you have hated your brother in your heart, you're guilty. Like that is, that is essentially murder. Okay. And how easy is it for us to hate someone over financial matters? Who's ever known of a family that got split up because they're trying to figure out how do we you know, break up mom and dad's inheritance? How many of you have like, been on the bad end? of a deal, and got like cheated, and you're like, I can't stand that person now. Okay, how many, how easy is it for us to hate someone in our hearts when this temporary thing is in play? And what role does that play for us as brothers and sisters in Christ? And what does it show about our relationship with each other when we are cheating each other or hating each other over this temporary thing? And so that's just, I think, something that all of us need to be on guard for. It's how do we think about other people. I, I, I really don't love the term. Uh, it's not personal. It's just business. We usually hear it from people who, you know, are trying to make excuses for their practices. But I think it might have some good application. If you're tempted to hate someone because they've cheated you, it's just like, all right, you know. Um, it's just business. I don't need to hate that person. I might not need to deal with them anymore. Um, but... I don't need to hate someone in my heart over what they've done to me financially or how I don't like them because of finances now. This is something that I think we all need to be, that applies to all of us, okay? Our, I want to wrap up this section on finances by going to 1 Timothy. Now, maybe you've already thought about it this morning, but 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 Verse starting in verse 6, yeah, First uh, Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and we can't take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Guys, notice he's not saying, and I'm sure you've heard this before, he's not saying money is the root of all kinds of evil. Okay, this is great use and offers a lot of freedom, um, but it's the love and the desire, and I'm going to do anything I can to get more of this that leads to all sorts of evil. And so, what does it say at the beginning, though? Godliness with contentment. Are we content with wherever God has us? Or are we only going to be content once we get to a certain point? Are we satisfied is more the word I want us to remember. Okay? Now, with what we just read in the section before it, I think we find these interchangeable lessons, not just to our plans and our finances, uh, but we find these interchangeable lessons that can apply to everything. For our plans, do we have them in surrender? For our finances, no matter where we're at, do we find ourselves satisfied with where God has brought us? And these could be things that... I just tell you, or we just say, and James says, you know, shape up in this area of your life and you're going to be better. But do you guys remember in August 1st, was, was anyone here for um, Pastor Russ's blood sausage uh, message where he talks about the proof is in the pudding? Anyone remember that? I, look, I went back and listened to it. I was like, I didn't know what the pudding, what pudding used to be. That was gross. But uh, he had this really, really good point in there that I think is so helpful for thinking about the book of James, because the book of James is like hard and heavy when it comes to our actions and our works as believers in Christ. But Russ really brought things into perspective August 1st when he said, we don't work for salvation. We work from salvation. Okay? We don't work for our salvation. We work from a place of being saved. All right? Uh, We went through Hebrews as a camp this summer, and we got to talk so much with our summer staff and with our kids about these old things like the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai, and he says, like, um, I am going to be your God, you will be my people. If you live righteously, you will be blessed. And then we got to have, like, a several thousand-year lesson about how that doesn't work, how we can't make ourselves holy and righteous. And there's all these little promises of the new covenant that God was going to give someday, and that had to do with the heart change. That had to do with changing from the inside out. In Jeremiah and Ezekiel, we see all these little promises about, about I am going to give them, I'm going to take their heart of stone, and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. So guys, please don't read James 4 and 5 and think, I'm just going to change my words and my actions and think that, you know, I'm making real change. Um, I can tape fruit to a dead tree, and it's not going to do anything. So with, uh, sorry, let me bring a little life to that illustration, um, taping fruit to a dead tree. You could read James here and just say, all right, I'm going to do a couple things. I'm going to throw in the phrase, if God wills, before every plan, just like it says in James. That's an action, and I'm just going to do that now, okay? If God wills this, if God wills that. Honestly, that could maybe get a little annoying, okay? (laughs) If that's just something that you're saying for the sake of saying it, trying to work for salvation. I'm not going to change anything inside, but I can tape that piece of fruit to my tree, if the Lord wills. Just say it, you know. Also, and this is a little bit harder, I can change what people see about my finances to make it look like I can give a lot of money to the church. I can do, you know, I can build a, this foundation or do that, and still have no change on the inside. It's maybe actually not that difficult to with your finances. Just try to put on the show of being a, a good Christian follower. Okay, we could try to do those actions but what's it changing inside? I don't want you to leave here and say, I'm going to just use the phrase, if the Lord wills all the time, and give lots of money to all these different causes, because that's not the point here. The point is to to look inside and say, am I really surrendered to Christ with my plans? Am I really satisfied in what he's given me, no matter what? We have been brought from death to life. We have, were in this position where, after Adam and Eve sinned, there was nothing we could do to reunite ourselves in a relationship with God. And Jesus came and made a way to him. And what he asks is for him to be Lord over our lives. i got to teach my kid that being Lord over our lives, having a lordship in our lives, means that Jesus is the boss of this house. Okay, That everything is his. Okay, everything that mom and dad have, it came from him. And everything that mom and dad has and what we use and how we use it is for him, to glorify him. I need to look into my heart and say, am I really satisfied with where God has brought me? And I'm, am I really surrendered to him? Um, people, these two, this couple that really helps this, I don't know, uh, put a face to this a little bit, I think, and I'm just going to end with this, are the Elliots. Maybe you have heard of them. Uh, Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador um, oh, back in the 50s, I think. And uh, he's, his story is kind of famous because um, he and four buddies landed this little plane in the jungle and they got out and as best as people can tell, they were speared, maybe right there on the spot. They, were just, they went to tell these people about Jesus and they were killed. <sighs> um, Jim is credited with my favorite quote, like ever, and I think it's totally applicable to what we have on earth. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep in order to um, have what he cannot lose. So are we able to, to emotionally separate From all of these things. And find contentment even if our circumstances change. I'm going to talk about his wife now. Alright. Now put yourself in his place. Or in uh, Jim's wife's place, ladies. Like someone, these people like killed your husband. How do you respond to that? I don't know. And I wouldn't blame anyone for being very bitter about that or or upset. But what, her, her name was Elizabeth. She went to this exact same people. And. Her and her daughter and other people said, we are still going to try to bring Christ to these people. And they had a lasting impact of bring, teaching these people in just a jungle in Ecuador who Jesus was. Um, Elizabeth is credited with saying, um, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. I don't know how often I want at- to just think that my joy will come when things are different. My joy will come when my retirement is a little bit bigger. My joy will come when, you know, my uh, finances are looking healthier or I've got my life a little more figured out. Um, Guys, the secret is Christ in me now, not me in a different set of circumstances later. Our plans, our finances, those are all great things, but is our identity, is our peace, And is our joy tied to these things? Because as uh, we studied with our campers in Hebrews, all these things are shakable. Hebrews 12, at the very end of that chapter, says this. Um, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, Uh, Yet this this phrase indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. Um, Are we willing to put our identity, our peace, and our joy in these things that cannot be shaken, and find contentment in Christ regardless of our circumstances? That is not an easy question for me to ask. I have so many friends and family um, that this is just, this is not something that is easy to say from the pulpit. It is hard for me to accept. I could give you 12 examples from the last week in my own life where I was just angry or brought to tears about just things about money or, you know, my plans not going through. But guys as a follower of Christ those gives me those give me opportunities to look in my life and say all right Jesus am i going to find satisfaction in you today am i able to to surrender these very difficult things to you because guys he asks for them all um my hope would be that if when when you go home uh that maybe maybe you're just going home by yourself and that's that's awesome uh, i i asked uh, Russ to include some questions on the back of the bulletin, and uh, maybe you can kind of go through these. Um, those of you uh, parents, I-, I would I would open up the challenge of having an open conversation with your kids when you go home. Um, or maybe kids, you're here by yourself with some friends, and you're going back home, and you're the only one in your family that listened to this. Uh, if you can, have a conversation with your family or just with yourself about these things. But I'll just go through them. Based on what others see me do or hear me say, who would they say has the highest authority in my life? So based on what I do or what I say, can others tell who has the highest authority in my life? I don't want you to just throw the phrase, if the Lord wills, in front of everything, but do people see that, that heart attitude? Question number two, how do I think Jesus would describe my financial stewardship? I can't tell you how to do anything with your money, and I really shouldn't. you know. <laughs> but there is one who it's from and who can, and that I think it's important for us to think what he thinks about our finances. So how do I think Jesus would describe my financial stewardship? Uh, number three, in what areas of my life am I currently discontent? What does it look like for me to surrender these specific areas to Christ and find satisfaction in him regardless? And then number four, if my circumstances changed, would Christ be revealed as my one true treasure, or have I treasured other things or people more than Christ? And so these are, these are not easy things that, that I'm asking you or that I'm even asking myself to think about. This was a tough week going through this, but it was a good reminder <laughs> of a week. So I would just hope that you know, us as Faith Community Church, as the body of Christ, as we spread back out into our communities, that people look at us and how we manage our plans and our finances, and they're like, they do it differently. Are people going to look at us and think they do it differently and wonder why? Why do we do things differently? Uh, I hope you'll pray with me, and then i uh, think inviting Brian back up. But, um, Lord, I am just so thankful uh, for your word. Um, for the challenges that are, that are in it, not just to change our actions, but Lord, to give you our heart and give you the room to work in there. Um, Lord, it is, it is difficult to surrender our plans and our finances and all these things to you, but God, there is no one who is more trustworthy with them, um, and it is scary to give that to you sometimes, but God, I pray that as we step out in faith, you would continue, as you always have, to prove and show yourself faithful. Uh, we love you, Lord, and it's, it's all from you, and it's all for you. Amen.